Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see everyone. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. And if this is your first time, welcome. And welcome to all you Vineyardites. Thanks for coming out again. Um, you guys like pithy sayings. Thing. You know what I'm saying? When you say wise things with few words. Pastors are never guilty of that, by the way. But uh, with few words, anyway. But, uh, you know, I, I, there are certain sayings I really like, and I've come to uh, kind of hold dear. They, they may sound very simplistic, but that's the way I like it. One is like, nothing changes if nothing changes. That's one of my favorite sayings right now. Because, you know, if you sit there and you keep waiting for something to change, until you change something, nothing is going to change. Or there's another one that someone taught me a couple of years ago, and that is, she said, never underestimate the power of a pause. Get it? <laughs> and it works also like when you're in situations and you feel pressured all of a sudden. And you feel like, I've got to respond. I've got to say something. I've got to never underestimate the power to pause of a pause. Just hold it. So, all right. Let's say prayer and we'll go home. That's, uh, that's my passing on today. <laughs> but there are other sayings like, Cleanliness is next to... Now, if you've ever had children, <laughs> you know, I mean, where did that come from? I, you know, God didn't say that, by the way. That, I mean, that may, that may be... Uh, I think God loves, like, little kids who get out and get dirty and got dirt all over them. And, and all, but my mom used to quote that to me. I think to get... I had all brothers, and so I think to get us all in the house and clean us up. It's like you guys are never going to get to know God if you don't clean up, you know. You're never going to, it's never going to happen for you. And so we have all of these sayings. We, uh, and we Christians, we church people, we kind of adapt things and change sayings as well. We, uh, we may hear a scripture and then we paraphrase it or we heard someone say it in church or you may have been going through a tough time and someone walked up to you and gave a comment to you that was uh, meant with, in all sincerity, as helpful. Uh, and it sounded pithy, and, it, and, uh, and you went, okay, I, I can take that. But sometimes uh, we hear things like the one today. We're launching a new series. Uh, I called it, I Didn't Say That, and that's from God's perspective. Things that people tell us, or maybe we grew up hearing, uh, that God didn't say. But we think it's from the Bible. And one of the ones that we hear is God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever been told that one? A lot of times we get that when in the midst of a very tough situation. Maybe some loss or some pressure. We, someone comes up and will pat us. And you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. And I know how you feel when you hear that. And... um, so we're going to talk about that one this morning, okay? And we're going to find out uh, where it came from, and we're going to find out what God has to say about that. So pray with me, and we're going to jump into this new series. Father, thank you uh, for this morning, for being able to gather. 
Thank you uh, that your word is beautiful, God, and is full of life. And we ask for you to just breathe on it and bring it alive to us today. Uh, I ask for your help, Lord. I ask that you would give me the gift of teaching for the next few minutes. Help me and uh, let your word come through clear. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We welcome you to come do your good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, where did this saying come from? God will never give you more than you can handle. Probably from, and oh, by the way, you have a fill-in in your handout and the text, the scriptures in there. It'll also be up on the screens for you. And uh, if you have an app, a version app, you can pull it up. Or if you're going old school like me, and uh, you can take your Bible out and find 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. This is probably where this pithy remark comes from. But let's read it in, con- in context. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let me give you the context for this comment. This is Paul. He's a leader in the church, known as the greatest apostle who ever lived. Uh, he is speaking and sending this letter to a church in a town or a city called Corinth. Corinth is somewhat similar to Myrtle Beach. It's kind of a beach community. It's actually a town that uh, existed between two harbors. And instead of the sailors and all the merchandise wanting to sail around the isthmus and coming into the other harbor, they would take the route across Uh, Since it was a narrow route, they would just do the short journey over to the next harbor. Well, Corinth was the city in which formed around that journey. And so you can imagine kind of being between Charleston and Wilmington harbors and then people wanting to route their trucks, their goods and all through what it might be like. And so this town was uh, multi-ethnic. It had multi-religions. It was known as a party place. Uh, It had multi-religions. Actually, on the highest hill or mountain in Corinth, which was about 1,883 feet tall, there was a temple, temple to Aphrodite. And in that temple, which was there for the whole city to see, were a 1,000 prostitutes. And so the people in Corinth would go there for worship and visit the temple. And so that's the kind of town we're talking about. And Paul wants to start a church there. Paul wants to plant what we call planting a church. So he's writing to this group of believers. Now, this group of believers in Corinth are probably mostly non-Jewish, probably like most of us in here. Uh, So they didn't have the luxury of knowing Israel's history. God spoke uh, through Israel's history to the people of the earth about Jesus coming. And also you can see how God thought about idols. Now, this town is full of idols, from the idol of sex to the idol of of carved images uh, to selfishness and greed. And so Paul is very challenged in dealing with this church. He's having a hard time getting it up and going. Not only that, there are arguments going on in the church. Imagine that. Um, You know, these arguments uh, are around certain issues like the wealthy where the church met in their wealthy homes. They didn't have church buildings then. Uh, they met in, their, met in their homes. The wealthy would gather, and they would eat all the food, and they would drink all the wine, and then the poor who had nothing to bring to the party basically were shut out of the meeting. And so Paul's had to deal with that in these letters, First and Second Corinthians. Also, because it was such a lascivious place, 
there were certain sins and behaviors that had come right on into the church because the church is full of people and people are full of problems and problems come into the church and people don't know how they should uh, behave. And so Paul has got his hands full. And on top of all of that, they have spiritual stars in the church. That is, when we, some things never change. You know, it's like, well, I like this preacher. No, I like this one. No, I like this one. I would rather that one preach. Oh, I'm going to go to that church. I don't like this church. I'll go to that one because that preacher's better. This one's better. This is a star. These people were going, I want Apollos to preach. No, I want Paul to preach. And it ticked Paul off so much that he finally said, you know what? I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Because it's not about that. It is about Christ. It is about Jesus. It's not about Apollos. It's not about me. It is about Christ. So Paul is having a very difficult time in this church, settling it down and trying to help it grow up. And so all the idols and the sexual behavior, all of this has crept into the church. It's there. And um, as, we look at, as we look at the chapter of our text today, Paul is trying to catch the church up with Israel's history. Now, this is a sober, sober verse here. This is not this happy-go-lucky verse because prior to him saying, no temptation has overtaken you, he says, hey, God dealt with Israel I mean, he really dealt with them in a harsh way when they had idols in their midst. And so he's trying to get the Corinthian church to say, to look at themselves and go, we need to deal with the idols in our life. And it's out of that confrontation that the text comes, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So let's settle this up front. This passage of Scripture is not about God giving you more than you can handle. It's about temptation. Got it? It's about temptation, and it's God saying, matter of fact, you will even be tempted at times where you can't handle it, so much so that if you will keep your eyes open, I'll show you how to escape it. If you stay in it, you're going to fail. But I will give you an exit strategy. Somewhere along the line, I will show you how to escape that temptation. So the scripture, the context of the scripture is dealing with temptation. It's not talking about the troubles in life that we have or the sorrows and the losses that come into our life. That is not the context of this scripture. And let's face it, in this room today, there are three types of people. There are people who are about to go into a difficult season in your life. There are people who are in the middle of a difficult season in your life. And there are people in here who are coming out of a difficult season in life. That's us this morning, right here, right now. So wherever you find yourself in those three, you're in the right place. Because there's people in this room. And where there's people, there's going to be situations And where there's situations, we really want to know what God has to say about it. And so, this is probably where that saying came from. Um, We have other sayings, don't we? If you're in the middle of some loss or something, uh, we'll come up or we're having a struggle. Someone will come up and go, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, that's not in the Bible either. Not. Don't don't say the Bible says because it doesn't. That's not what it says. Never says that. We'll cover that another day. You ever heard this one? 
When God closes one door, he does what? Yeah, a trap door. You ever felt like that? It's like, well, that door closed. You know, like, wow, what happened to the other door, God? I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest about it. Or maybe, don't worry, be happy. Wrong religion, okay? Um, that's down the street. Uh, that's down the street where that one comes from. Um, and then we have, remember, God won't give you more than you can handle. He will. And he does give you more than you can handle at times. And um, if, for most of us, if you've got a few years on you, you know that to be true. And as I said, you're either about to go into a difficult season, you're in the middle of one, or you're coming out of one. It's just the facts, and we have to talk about this. What is God's opinion, and what does he say about these times? The Bible is full of characters who went through very difficult times and who had more than they could handle. Gideon, as you know, is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. The Midianites are attacking Israel and just devastating the crops. Uh, the Midianites come in on camels. They'd never even seen a camel before. The Israelites hadn't at that stage of history. And, and so here comes these hordes of just wicked people destroying the crops and destroying everything. And all, they, all, the, all the Israelites can do is hide out. And so there's this guy, Gideon, hiding out in the wine press. And an angel shows up. And, you know, you know the story, many of you. He, he says, Hail, mighty man of valor. And he's hiding out. And Gideon looks around to see who else is there, and he realizes the angel is talking to him. And uh, he goes, oh, you got the wrong guy. And the angel says, no, I, it's you. And he goes, it can't be me because I'm from the weakest, smallest family in the whole nation. It can't be me. And not only am I from the weakest, smallest family, I am also the weakest and smallest of the weakest and smallest family. And the angel won't let him off the hook. You know the story, Gideon keeps prodding him, trying to look for affirmation. And, and, uh, and then there's Moses. I mean, Moses sees a burning bush. God calls him to deliver Israel, right? And when God calls Moses, what does he say? You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. I can't talk. I, I stammer. I, I don't know how to address people. God, you just got the wrong person in the week. It seems like God specializes in choosing people who just couldn't handle what they were called to. Esther, beautiful Jewish lady, the only Jewish lady uh, in that nation at that time. And as you read her story in Esther 4.4, and she realizes that her time has come to really make a mark for Israel, that she goes, I am very afraid. Like this is something, this is bigger than I can handle. King David who has written so many of the Psalms about... uh, (laughs) David seemed to find himself in so many situations where it was more than he could handle. In Psalm 38, in verses 4 through 8, we read this, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Ever been so worried that your body even starts responding? Certainly pains, 
Like you, you, your body is going, this is too heavy for me to carry. And you wake up one morning and you're so worried about things, your body aches and you go, I don't know, I don't know why I'm so sore. And David is like, this situation, even my body is not allowing me to get up and go. This is such a heavy situation in my life. Jesus, even Jesus said this in Mark 14, 33, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he asked his friends, stay here and keep watch and pray. Jesus, Jesus. God never said that he wouldn't give us more than we could handle. He never has said that. And if we're honest, many of us would say, yeah, I've been in situations. Yeah, we've, some of you know our story. We've been in situations. We lost a, we lost a job. I lost a grandson. Uh, lost friends. Found out I, someone I loved dearly had been accosted. All of this happened in a two-month period. And you find yourself sitting with God when I, I can't bear this. I, I can't. I can't. I don't know what to do. How do, I, how do I walk out of this? How do you go the next step? So why would God, why would God allow things like that to enter our life? You got two fill-ins this morning. I'm going to keep it short because this is a heavy message. So, but it's a very hopeful message. And um, your first fill-in is this. Why would God give you more than you can handle? So you can come to depend on his presence. To depend on his presence. It's in those times when there is nothing else to hold you. And there's nobody that can console you. And there's no one who can really rescue you out of it. That you can experience the presence of God in the most powerful way you ever will in your life. And some of you know what I'm talking about. He's there in a very, it's almost tangible if you call on him. It's like he's put you in this womb and carries you through the middle of it. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean you don't suffer the loss, but it, somehow in the middle of it you know you're okay because he's with you. He's there carrying you. And you know, remember Jonah? Jonah and the... The whale, we call it. We don't know if it was a whale, but it was a, some kind of fish, evidently. And, uh, but Jonah, Jonah was told to go preach to a group of people called the Ninevites. He didn't like them. He didn't want to go preach to them. And he re- really made him mad when he went and preached to them and they repented. <laughs> he wanted them to go to hell. You know, he just didn't want them to respond. And so Jonah gets, you know, he's like, I'm not doing this. And so he takes off and he runs from God. He runs away from God. Long story short, he gets on a boat. He gets thrown overboard, right? Gets swallowed by a fish. And in Jonah 2, verse 2 and in verse 7, here's what we read. That's a pretty dark place to be. Stinky fish under the water. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Distress, deep, realm of the dead, my life ebbing away. Have you called on the Lord at those times? Have you said, God, I need you. I'm calling on you right now. Come be with me right now. 
Listen, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Don't let the wind around you and don't let the darkness and the pain overshadow the presence of God that is with you and can be with you in a greater measure than you've ever experienced. Psalm 145 and 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. Call on Him. Never let, can we say that together? Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. There it is, let's say it. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Over and over again in Scripture, we see men and women of God who find themselves in situations that they would have never chosen for themselves. And God is there in such a very special way. That's why we have the Bible. The Bible's full of this, of God being faithful in His presence to people in broken times, times of loss. doesn't leave you alone. There is a guy named, or was a guy named Thomas O. Chisholm. And uh, Mr. O- Mr. Chisholm was born in a log cabin in Kentucky. He had no high school training, so when he got out of 7th or 8th grade, he went and taught school. <laughs> uh, that was at 16, by the way. He was teaching school. Then at 21, he began the, became the editor of the local newspaper, but he was sick a lot. I mean a lot. As a matter of fact, his illness got worse and worse until he ended up in a wheelchair. He loved... God, he went to the Methodist church, uh, but his illness got such that he had to even quit his work at the Methodist church. Every day, he would, uh, the story goes, his biography goes, that he would try to climb out of bed just to go make enough money to pay his bills. But out of all of that time, he wrote something like uh, 1,200 hymns and poems. And this is one of them. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. From a bed, from a wheelchair, great is thy faithfulness. God allows more than we can handle to come to our lives so that we can experience his presence. And your next fill-in is so that you can experience his power. So that you can experience his power. It's a very weak place to be, isn't it, when you've been stripped of something that means a lot to you or if you find yourself in a position of 
not being able to dig out of the hole that you're in. And uh, you, you're just weak. And maybe you're one of these people who kind of pride yourself in being so strong. I can make it through this, you know. And you keep telling yourself, I can do this. I can do this. And finally you hit a spot where you go, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I don't have the power. I don't have the power to do this. And that is the moment in time where we can experience the power of God like we have never experienced it before. To sustain us, to hold us, to keep us. Over in 2 Corinthians, the second letter uh, to this church, Paul is writing, and this is a fascinating passage here. He talks about having a thorn in the flesh. Have you ever heard that metaphor? Uh, I know you've heard, you're a thorn in my side, things like that. But Paul, this is where the metaphor came from. It came from Paul's, uh, at 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. And uh, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. Some people think it was eye problems that Paul had a hard time seeing, that he had some eye disease because on some of his letters he would write in big, you know, says, you can see this is from me, look how large I'm writing. Or some people think he had a sickness and that he had to deal with that sickness over and over again. I've read some commentaries that believe it was just church people that really got to him. <laughs> he just, you know, because he names them. You know, Paul goes after him in some of his books. If somebody's causing dissension in the church, he names them. He goes right after them. And uh, it's like, we don't, but we don't know. But here's what we do know. We do know that Paul asked that that be taken from him. And he asked on three different seasons or times. And when it says he asked three times, it means it doesn't just mean like I asked once, I asked twice, I asked three times. What it means is there were seasons of him asking, pleading with God, please take this from me. And then another season, God, please take this from me. And then another season, God, I can't handle this in my own strength. Please take this from me. And here's what we read in 2 Corinthians 12 and 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. This is crazy talk, isn't it? Weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. I'm stuck with this thorn, God. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. And then I hear you say, your grace is sufficient. Because when you're weak, I'm going to be strong in you. So Paul finally settles it. He goes, all right, I'll just brag on how weak I am. That's what I'll do. I am a weak vessel, God, but you are strong and mighty. And your power is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. I'll know your power in the midst of my own weakness. And you see, you don't know that. You don't get to experience that except in the weak times. That's when it comes to us. His power in that very special way. 
When I am weak, I am what? Strong. When I am weak, I am strong. Now, how's that for an upside-down kingdom? That's the kingdom of God. When we are weak, we are strong. And it, this doesn't have to be tragedy. It could be an everyday life or situation when we learn to lean into God and not our own strength and all. I mean, coming up here, this is a daunting task to step up here. I have to be honest with you. You know, you, I go through a ritual every week weekend. You know, you check your zipper, you do that, and, you know, that kind of thing. But then, you, you know, it's one of but the big thing is that, you know, there's fear. I mean, there's fear. What's going to happen? What's in your nose? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, but you get up here and the biggest the biggest weakness, the biggest weakness is I got I got to get up there with this, you know, and 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 come up here and somehow somehow deliver what God I hope and pray he's saying and but something happens between there and here because every Sunday there's this moment when I just go I go I don't have it <laughs> I mean I don't have the strength for this I don't but I've prepared I put it on the altar only you can bring the fire and God, all I can pray for now is that you bring the wind. I'm going to hoist the sails, but I cannot bring the wind. And I don't want to row because that wears me out and it wears the church out. So, Lord, in my weakness, bring the wind and fill the sails. In those moments of our life, those are opportunities to see God show His power. So, we brag in our weakness. And we go, yeah, you're right. You're right, I don't have it, but God does. And in my weakness, he will be strong. So why would God give us more than we can handle to draw close to him so that we could know his presence in a very special way and so that he could give us his supernatural power in the midst of our weakness? There's another guy named Horatio Spafford. Lived back in the like late 1800s, 1870 or so. He was a Chicago lawyer. He supported uh, D.L. Moody, who was a famous evangelist. And uh, Mr. Spafford was a very wealthy businessman. He owned real estate holdings all through uh, Chicago. His wife, Anna, they had a baby boy and four daughters. And around 1870, despite all of his success, tragedy began to hit his life a little bit at a time. First, his four-year-old son caught scarlet fever and died. And then right after that, the next year or so, the Chicago fire swept through and devastated his real estate holdings. And he lost every bit of his savings. Uh, He still was trying to support D.L. Moody. And Moody was going to England to preach a series of messages. And so he thought it would be a great time to take the family, the wife and the daughters, and go to England and to help Mr. Moody uh, with the with his ministry, and so he bought the tickets to jump on the boat to go to England. Well, when he got to the ship that day to board a French vessel to head over there, he got a telegram from Chicago that he needed to come back to Chicago to deal with some of his business before he left. So he didn't want to waylay his wife and daughters from having a nice vacation. So he said, you guys go ahead. Uh, as soon as I get this taken care of, I'll be on the next ship to you. So he went back to Chicago. Nine days later, he receives a telegram from his wife, Anna, and it has two words on it, saved alone. 
what had happened is the French vessel that Anna and the four daughters were on collided with an English vessel, and within like 22 minutes it had sank. All four daughters drowned. Uh, Anna said the last memory she has is of her holding the daughter as the waters rushed and drug her out of her arms. And so Horatio Spafford jumped on the next boat to make his way to England uh, to be with his wife. And as they were going across the Atlantic, the captain of the ship that he was on called him and said, Mr. Spafford, would you come, uh, would you come to, the, to the captain's spot? And he went up and with the captain and they went up and he pointed out, he said, this is the area where the ship went down that your wife and your daughters were on. So Horatio went back to his room and he penned this song. When peace like a river attended my way when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. presence and the power of God in those moments when we just can't handle anymore. That is the presence of God we get to taste, to see. He will be with us in his power to sustain us in our weakest time. Are you in over your head this morning? Are you at that spot where you're just headed into a tough uh, place place of loss, or maybe you're in the middle of it right now. God's presence is here. God's power is here. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.